just want to pray too, Lord, now for, for, the, for the teaching, for Isaiah 54, for, for my preaching. Help me, Lord, I pray. Give me clarity of mind. Uh, give me the right heart. And then, Lord, give us ears to hear. And I pray that you just blow us away this morning with your lavish and magnificent promises to us. So come and do that, I pray now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good. Well, I just want to start off having you think about uh, what is it that you do in those times when you have weak faith? What do you do um, when you notice that your love for Christ isn't very strong or you're being drawn away by some temptation or maybe you're starting to feel fear rise up or uh, you're just getting like in a lukewarm and complacent? What, what do you do? at those times when, when you feel like your faith is getting weak. And the good news is, God loves us, and he's given us a resource, which whenever we use it, he will work to strengthen our faith. It's kind of like, I thought of like a, a battery pack that never loses its power. It's always there that you can plug into. And whenever we do that, he promises he will strengthen our faith. And what this resource is, is God's word. It's the Bible. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says... Faith comes from hearing the word of Christ. And so when we take time to set our hearts upon the truth of God's word, to read God's word, pray over God's word, think deeply about God's word, God will bring his Holy Spirit upon us and faith will rise. It'll grow. It'll become stronger. And one of the most important parts of God's word that strengthens our faith is God's promises. His precious and magnificent promises. I thought this week that faith feeds on promises like a mouse feeds on cheese. Okay? Mice love cheese. Feed on cheese. Faith feeds on God's promises like a mouse feeds on cheese. Mice, I think, because I've heard this, this may, anyway, they have a nose to sniff out cheese. Okay? Anyway, what are you laughing about? <laughs> I think, do they? I'm not a mouse expert, but I've heard this, so let's just do urban legend. Here we go. Mice have a nose to sniff out cheese, and then they sniff it out, they find it, they eat it. We should have noses that sniff out God's promises in his word. Not that we neglect the other parts, it's all important, but that especially when we're reading God's word, oh, look at this promise. We sniff it out, and we feed on it, and we think about it, and we pray about it, and we ponder it. Now, the reason I mention that is because Isaiah chapter 54 is packed full of promises. It's promises from start to finish. All that's true for us because of what Jesus did for us as described in Isaiah 53. So let's turn there. Okay, those of you who are hungry for some cheese, here we go, all right? Isaiah chapter 54. Now, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We want you all to have a copy of the Bible that you can be looking on with us as we study through this chapter together. Isaiah chapter 54, it's on page 614 in the Bibles that we're passing out right now. We're working our way through the book of Isaiah. You notice I changed the artwork from uh, fall 2010 instead of summer 2011. Now it's fall 2011. We just keep moving those deadlines down, okay? And we're making our way through, so this morning we're in Isaiah 54. So what is this chapter about? And Isaiah tells us in the very last sentence of this 
chapter, the last half of verse 17, he says, this, referring to what he's just written in the chapter, is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication from me. So this chapter describes the heritage that will be received by servants of the Lord. Now, if you're going to receive a heritage, that's kind of like you're going to receive an inheritance, right? Same root word there. That means there's something that's been promised to you that you're going to receive. It's another way of saying promises. So this is, chapter 54 describes what God's servants will receive as their heritage, as promises from God. It's full of God's promises, this chapter. I just want to challenge you. There's, there's too many churchgoers who think that the Christian life is mostly about what we do for God. And there's a place for that, and that's an important part, but that's not mostly what it's about. Mostly the Christian life is about what God promises to do for us. That's the main command in this book. This, you can summarize this whole book. God says, trust me for everything. So just just check to see, see if you're more on the command side or the promise side. I'll bet you every single person here knows more commands than you know promises. Is that true? I'll bet you that's true. We all know more commands and promises. And nothing wrong with knowing commands. We need to take those very seriously. Those are crucial. But that all flows from understanding and trusting God's promises. Obedience flows from faith in God's promises. And so this chapter is going to be very helpful for us because it's packed full of God's promises. Now, who gets to receive these promises? We've got to be clear on that. Again, Isaiah tells us the last sentence of the chapter, last half of verse 17. He says, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication from me, declares the Lord. So who gets the heritage of these promises? The servants of the Lord. Okay, it's not a trick question. It's really, very clear. It's the servants of the Lord. Now, there's two ways we could misunderstand this. Let's really be clear on this. You could misunderstand Isaiah by thinking that because you're not very spiritual, because you've sinned a lot, because you've screwed up your life, therefore you're never going to be a servant of the Lord, so let's, might as well leave this morning and go do something else, okay? That's not true. Another way you could misunderstand Isaiah is by thinking that because you go to church and because you really try hard to be good and because maybe you, I don't know, avoid our movies or something, that therefore you're automatically a servant of the Lord because you're good enough. That's not true either. Okay? Both of those are wrong. The fact that you've sinned doesn't mean you can't become a servant of the Lord. The fact that you try real hard to be good doesn't mean you are a servant of the Lord. Okay, so who are the servants of the Lord? Well, we saw last week in Isaiah 53 something that just struck me. I didn't actually mention it last week, but it struck me this week. We saw that servants of the Lord are people who have all sinned against God. Isaiah 53.10 All we, Isaiah says, like sheep have gone astray. Do you know who he's including in that we? Him. All we, including Isaiah, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. So there is no servant of the Lord who hasn't sinned against God. So if you've sinned against God, you're still maybe in the running. Okay, it's still the door's still open. You still could be a servant of the Lord. Having sinned, having screwed up your life, doesn't mean you can't be a servant of the Lord. So what does it take to become a servant of the Lord? We also saw in Isaiah 53 
that God made a way for the sinfulest people to be completely forgiven for all their sins, all their past sins, all their present sins, all their future sins. He made a way for the sinfulest people to be forgiven for all their sins and to be changed into servants of the Lord. And how did God do that? Through Jesus' death on the cross. We talked about that last week. And the way we receive what Jesus has done, there's there's one way. It's by trusting Jesus Christ. So servants of the Lord are those who trust Jesus Christ. And the moment that they trust Jesus, all their sins are forgiven. God's power starts to go to work in us. We start to be changed. We're adopted into God's family. We become new creations. It's through trusting what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. That's who servants of the Lord are. So here's here's the million-dollar question. Here's how you can know if these promises in chapter 54 are true for you or not. It's just simply, are you trusting Jesus Christ? That's the question. We'd like to break that down into three areas, which we have found helpful. Are you trusting Jesus as your Savior? So you've stopped trying to be good enough to save yourself. Are you trusting Jesus, his death and resurrection, to be your salvation? Secondly, are you trusting Jesus as your Lord? Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you've never, you don't, you don't, it doesn't mean you've stopped sinning. It means that the longing of your heart is to submit to Jesus in every area of your life. Because it's your longing. When you stumble, you repent and you get forgiveness. That's what it means you're trusting Him as Lord. You want Him to be complete, total Lord of your life. Are you trusting Him as your Lord? And are you trusting Jesus as your heart satisfying treasure? So your hunger is to know Him more to be satisfied completely in him because he is your highest joy. Is that your longing? Is that your hunger? Is that your thirst? Trusting Jesus. Okay, so so because you're trusting Jesus Christ, all of God's promises are true for you. You've been completely forgiven for all of your sins, past, present, future. His power is at work and everything that he mentions in Isaiah 54 is part of your heritage. It's your heritage because you're trusting what Jesus Christ has Done. And if you're not yet trusting Jesus, okay, you could trust him right now. Right now. Say, okay, I trust you. You're my Savior. Forgive me. You're my Lord. I submit to you. Help me. Change me. Satisfy me in yourself. And all these promises will be true for you, okay? Now, let's look. What does God then promise his servants? What is this heritage of the servants of the Lord? Five main promises given here. And what I'm going to encourage you to do, this is a lot. I was talking to Jan about it yesterday. This is, there's a lot in each of these promises. Ask the Lord as I go through these, which one do you want me to focus on? So you walk away with one of these that you're focusing on. Not trying to keep in mind all five. That's too much bandwidth. Just one. Which one do I need to hear this morning? You have one of these promises that you need to hear this morning. That's why God has you here. At this moment, because one of these promises you especially need to hear and to take home with you and to pray over and to ponder and to feed on it like a mouse feeds on cheese. Okay? So what does God promise his servants? First, he promises that we will have many spiritual children. Very interesting. Verses 1 through 3. When I first read them, I was puzzled thinking, how am I going to preach on this? What is, what's going on here? Look at what God promises. He says, sing, O barren one, who did not bear children. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, 
you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tents and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Like Add some rooms onto your house. Get bigger, okay? Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. And what's Isaiah talking about here? At first I thought, well, maybe he's talking about physical children. Like, all, you know, all of God's people are just going to have like lots and lots and lots of physical, biological children. But when you read this chapter, that's not what this chapter is talking about. First of all, you'll notice that he's, when you read the rest of the chapter, he's using figurative language. Like, look at verse 5. He says, Your maker, speaking of God, is your husband. So he's talking in figurative language here about God being our husband. God had moved away from Israel because of her sinfulness. Now God's, because she's going to be repenting, saved, forgiven through Isaiah 53's Messiah, Jesus, she'll be forgiven, he's back, and he will enable her to have many spiritual children. God's the husband enabling God's people to have spiritual children. I also think that's what's going on here because in Galatians 4, verse 27, Paul quotes these three verses as a description of spiritual children, born again, kids. So what God's promising here is that his servants will have many spiritual children. That is, God will work through us so that we see people brought to faith in Christ, transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. God promises this to his servants. And doesn't this sound like what Jesus said, like uh, in chapter, uh, chapter 1 of Mark, he said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. He promises that. Or you think about in John 15, he says, abide in me and you will bear much fruits. The context there is including people being saved. And then remember the good soil in, in Mark chapter 4, remember the parable of the four soils? Remember what kind of harvest the good soil brought? 30, 60, And a hundredfold. That's a harvest. And so God promises that his kids, his servants, will have many spiritual children. Now, see, here's the deal. Satan works very, very hard at dissuading us from believing that. I would guess many of you really don't believe that that's the case. You don't believe that's going to happen. You don't believe it for various reasons. And the problem is, if Satan can weaken our confidence in this promise, then we will put little effort out into advancing the gospel in our neighborhoods or workplaces or wherever, right? Because it's, it's work. It's hard. Jan drove some of our neighbors to the airport at 5.30 this morning, okay? It's work to reach out and to, to, to give your life and to serve other people. But see, what, what I want you to fight for and what Isaiah would want us to fight for is fight to believe this. Don't let Satan undermine this. I mean, this is an amazing promise because, I mean, think of how, of how significant it would be if you were like a brain surgeon who could take tumors out of people's brains so that they're healed. What an amazing gifting and calling that would be, wouldn't it? Or if you, you know, were an OBGYN who could, 
He helped bring babies into the world. Or you know, what are, these, these are amazing callings. But as amazing as those are, those are nothing compared to what it means that you could bring a, a lost person to Christ. Helping see somebody transferred out of the kingdom of darkness where they're under Satan's control and grip and seeing the Spirit of God come upon them and faith birth and repentance coming and they're freed and made into a new creation. That's yours. You can see that happen. We're working together. We're a team together. God promises this will happen, but we've got to fight to believe it because Satan's working very hard to make you not think it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It will happen. You will see people, maybe in your neighborhood, maybe in your extended family, maybe in your circle of friendships, maybe at PayPal or Brocade or Apple or wherever it might be, you will see people transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Some of you need to hear that promise this morning. That's the one you have to say, okay, this is the one. Okay, maybe it's this next one. Second promise. God promises he'll never turn his love from us. Now that's the whole point of verses 4 through 10. I'd encourage you to read all those verses on your own. Right now we're going to focus on verse 8 and then verse 10. Look at verse 8, first of all. In overflowing anger, for a moment, I hid my face from you because of Israel's sin. But with everlasting, you know what everlasting means? It means everlasting, okay? Like never-ending. With everlasting love, I will have compassion on you. In other words, I will never again hide my face from you, is what God's saying in verse 8. Says the Lord, your Redeemer. And then verse 10. For the mountains may depart, and the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Now, how can God promise he will never remove his love from Israel? He had pulled back from Israel numerous times because of Israel's sin in the past, right? He has done that. How can he promise here? Okay? The reason is because he's going to bring a saving power upon Israelites when they turn and put their trust in the Messiah, as described in Isaiah 53, when they trust God's mercy, pictured in the animal sacrifices, or today, when you put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, Lord, and treasure, at that moment, God starts a work in you which he will never stop. He starts a work in you which he will never stop. He will not let you turn finally to sin. And so he will never remove his love from you. God starts a work in you which he will never stop. When you fall, he'll pick you up. When you stumble, he'll hold you. When you're discouraged, he will encourage you. When you're weary, he will strengthen you. When you're brokenhearted, he will comfort you. He's not sitting back saying, I hope you can pull this thing off. Let's see what you got. Give it your best shot. He's, he's come on, he's there. He's there. He's there. He's, he's there. He's strengthening, holding, okay? So here's the picture. Some picture like this. Here, here's, here's you, me now. And then down there in the distant future is the new heavens and the new earth. Eternity, end of history, Christ coming back, that whole thing. Between now and then, you know there's going to be trials. There's going to be fearsome things happening. Difficulties, temptations, conflicts, battles, war, right? And you could easily look at what that could mean and think, 
There's just no way I'm going to make it. I mean, look at how unspiritual I am. Look at how weak I am. Look at how frail I am. There's no way that I'm going to make it. You don't need to feel that way. It's not about you being able to make it. Just newsflash, you can't make it. You can't make it. Just straight up, it's like, wow, okay. Because, you know, I can't. That's right. And I can't either. But God says, Philippians 1, 6, the good work he started. Who will continue the good work that God started, Philippians 1, 6? He will. So at every turn of the road, every trial, every difficulty, every puzzlement, every weakness, every temptation, he's going to be moving and he'll, he'll encourage you. He'll give you repentance. He'll bring you back to him if you start to wander. He will do the work. My, my dad likes to say, I've, I've shared this with you before, I just love it, though it's just so good, uh, that Christianity is not a possum religion. Remember this? Okay? It's not a possum. You, you, know about, you know possum babies? Possum babies have to hang on to mom. And if they let go, they fall away and die. Okay? If they let go, it's, ah! Okay, it's over. Okay? Christianity is not a possum religion. Christianity is a kangaroo religion. What do kangaroo babies do? They get put in the pouch. Boing, boing, boing. Little joeys, right? Okay? They're in the pouch. They are carried. Possum babies have to hold on. Kangaroo babies get held on too. Massive difference. And some of you have thought, I'm just not going to make it. I don't know. You're going to plant it closer to your chair. You know, why is it worth it then? If I'm not going to make it, I might as well just Whatever. You will make it if you're trusting Jesus Christ. Because you're trusting him, the good work that he has started, he will continue. That's the second precious promise, verses 4 through 10. Some of you need to hear this promise this morning. Okay? This is one you need to just take home with you and ponder. Third promise. Oh, this is, this is really interesting. God promises to turn our present humiliations into amazing glorifications. Okay, now before we read verses 11 and 12, let me set the stage for you. Here's, here's what's going on. Imagine that you're an Israelite in Babylon as a slave. You've been captured. Jerusalem, beautiful Jerusalem with walls and temples and gold. Jerusalem has been flattened, burning, just smoke. It's devastated. And you've been let off in chains and you're a slave in Babylon now. And so think of the humiliation that you could feel because of what's happened to you and what's happened to your city. Now look at verses 11 and 12. O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in antimony. Antimony is a beautiful black mortar which would be used to set off the beauty of precious stones. I will set your stones in antimony. And lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of agates. It's probably referring to red jasper, beautiful precious stone. I will make your pinnacles of agate, your gates of carbuncles. Those are like shining crystals, beautiful. And all your wall I will make of precious stones. Now, this can't be talking about the rebuilding of Jerusalem physically as a city for two reasons. One is, uh, Jerusalem wasn't rebuilt with sapphires and carbuncles, okay? Second reason is, 
John, in Revelation 21, alludes to these verses to describe the new Jerusalem, the people of God, you and me, the people of God, the new Jerusalem. So here's what God is saying in this promise. He's saying to Israel and to us, he will turn our present humiliations into amazing glorification. See, God's people experience humbling circumstances, right? Um, Israel, obviously, captivity, enslaved in Babylon, or whether it's not having enough money, or whether it's having friends turn on us, or whether it's facing persecution, or whether it's going through a time of physical illness. These are all humiliations, Right? You feel lowly. You feel, you just, you feel bad. You're, it's, it's a humiliating thing. God's people often experience humiliating circumstances. Some of you right now are experiencing humiliating circumstances. And what God is saying in these verses is, look at what you will be in the new heavens and the new earth. Because of Jesus, by Jesus alone, we Saved sinners will be built with sapphires and precious stones and red jasper. We will be, because of Jesus' mercy alone, we will be glorious in that day, shining with his glory. That's what God's promising here. So even if you're in humbling circumstances right now, and many of you are, lift up your heads Lift up your head. See what awaits you. See how God will glorify you in Christ that final day. You'll be shining. Presence, humiliations will all be turned into amazing glorification. So lift up your heads, okay? Some of you need to hear that. That's the promise you've got to feed on now. Fourth. Have you already got one? We've got two more, okay? Hold on. Fourth, God promises... To give you the peace that comes from being taught directly by God. Okay, verse 13 was a tough verse for me to figure out. I'm not sure, I, I'm pretty sure I did. Here's my best stab at it. You can wrestle with it in your home groups this week if you want to. Here's what helped me. I noticed that Jesus quotes this verse in John chapter 6, verse 45. And he quotes it to describe something that God does for every believer. Every believer is taught by God. Every believer is taught by God is what Jesus says. And what I think he's talking about there, and a couple of commentaries mentioned this, and I think they're right, is that every believer, if you're trusting Jesus Christ, then you have times, not just when you're being taught about God, but when you're being taught by God himself. Times when you open up the scriptures, it's not always like this, But there are times when you open up the scriptures and you pray and you seek God and and God comes and he reveals himself to you through the truth of his word in a firsthand experiential way so that you, you are tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. You're feeling his very love poured into your heart. Not just learning that he loves you, as crucial as that is, but you're feeling his very love for you. And at those times when God gives you a first-hand experience of his very presence, at those times, great peace comes. That's the verse. All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace 
of your children. At those times, fears flee. Temptations lose their power. Doubts vanish at those times. And let me be clear, that is not our steady state as followers of Jesus. There are times when God will do that. Okay, Like a couple weeks ago, I was out praying by the, the creek near our house. There's a creek trail there where I go to walk and pray. And I had my 3x5 my, my verse cards with me. And I forget which verse it was, but there was a verse in the Psalms. And I was burdened, and I was sad, and discouraged about things. And uh, I wish I remember what the verse was. But what happened, I, I was praying over the verse and pondering it, and, and God did this. This doesn't always happen. Okay, I wish it happened a lot more. Pray for me so this will happen more, but it happened. All right? And I knew, I knew that there was a God. <laughs> I believe it all the time, but you know, okay, your pastor doesn't struggle too often with that. I, I, I knew by experience that there was a God. I knew by, if, just because I sensed in my heart, he was saying, I've got this all under control. Great good is coming. You have nothing to worry about. And it went from truth I was fighting to believe here to reality I felt here. And I just don't say yes as I was on the creek. And I just, Anybody see me? I hope not. Anyway. But see, you've experienced that if you're a follower of Jesus. And you can experience that more. But if you don't believe that there will be times when God will do that, you will not seek God to do that. You will not ask God to do that. You will not ask your home group, pray for me. I want more of this. This is what God promises to do. I want this more. You want this more. Let's pursue this more. That's the fourth promise. Okay, fifth, one last one. God promises that no weapon fashioned against you will succeed. This is really interesting. What is Isaiah saying here? Verses 14 through 17. Let's read them. In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression. For you shall not fear. And from terror, for it shall not come near you. If anyone stirs up strife, it's not from me. Whoever stirs up strife with you shall fall because of you. Behold, I've created the smith who blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon for its purpose. I've also created the ravager to destroy. But no weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. And you shall confute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication from me, declares the Lord. Now, you could think that this means if you're saved, you'll never experience any trials. You could think that, right? except for the fact that many, many, many other scriptures in Isaiah and the rest of the Bible teach that God's choice servants do experience trials. Okay, so what is God promising? I think what he's promising is that nothing that comes your way will take away from your greatest joy. And what's your greatest joy? Psalm 73, what Lisa read earlier, Besides you, I desire nothing on earth. Lord, make, make that true, more true. But God is, if you've been born again, then you've, you've tasted of the highest joy of the universe, the joy of knowing God in the person of Jesus Christ. And in his presence, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures forever. Psalm 1611. You've tasted 
of the infinitely greatest joy of the universe. Nothing else comes close. And so nothing that comes against you will take away from your greatest joy. Quite the contrary, everything God allows to come your way will be ordained by God to increase your experience of joy in God. It'll increase. Now here's an illustration. I, I, I like to surf, you know. Let's say that, just imagine that my highest joy was surfing. Okay, which it isn't. I try not to have it be. All right. And I'm driving over the 17 to go surfing, and all of a sudden, I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting there and surfing. And then here's this big detour sign. Head off to the right. So I head off to the right. And, and there's this bump, bumpy road, bumpy dirt road heading up. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm ever going to get there. It'd be a very frustrating experience. Can you feel it? Okay. You can, can't you? Shake my word for it. It'd be very frustrating. Okay, now, what if I knew, though, that that detour was going to get me to the beach faster? And get me to a beach that has even better waves. Like these perfect peeling rights with nobody else out except maybe just Dave Clark, okay? Just, just like one other person. Woo! Okay, so what if, what if I knew that every detour that comes is going to get me where I want to go faster and better? Bring it on! Bump, 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 right? And see, that's what God promises. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Such a crucial verse to memorize. Therefore we do not lose heart, But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light afflictions are producing for us. They're producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Every trial is going to increase your joy in God forever. Okay, get me there, better. That's how it works. That's what God is promising his servants. Our highest joy is knowing God through the person of Jesus Christ. And God promises that every trial we face, no matter how bumpy, will bring us even more joy in God than we would have had otherwise. So no weapon formed against you will prosper. Quite the contrary, it will be used by God to cause you to prosper in Christ. Does that make sense? Okay, five promises. Uh, We've got time for just a couple of questions if you've got some. We've covered a lot of ground here. See why Jan said that's a lot of ground to cover? Covered a lot of ground. Again, what I want you to do is walk away with one, though, that you're going to focus on. But are there any questions? It's like, I don't get this. Did you really say this? It doesn't make sense. I like to open it up for questions just so that I can clarify some things. What, what questions come in your mind? Raise your hand. We'll bring a mic to you. Let's talk. What, what gets stirred up in your heart as we've gone over this? Isaiah 54. Yeah, let's, let's look at which promises are eternity, which promises are present. So we'll have many spiritual children. That's now, right? That's in this life. Okay, we'll see people brought to faith. Uh, that's a good question, Dave. God promises he will never turn his love from us. So that means every day now he's sustaining us, protecting us, giving us repentance, bringing us back. Uh, God will turn our present humiliations into amazing glorifications. That is certainly future. Can God do that in this life? Yes. Is, does he promise to do it in this life? Depends what you mean. You can be more than a conqueror now, right? While you're, while you're dying of cancer, you can be more than a conqueror. Even though you're dying of cancer. And even though you die because of it. So, what we know for sure is there will be more than conquerors that every trial, present humiliation, amazing glorification, God can do things in this life. We pray for them to come. 
but we aren't sure what he's going to do. He doesn't, does he promise to heal? Sometimes. Does he, sometimes we don't get healed. Yes, he does that as well sometimes. So what we put our hope in is the grace that will come to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ, 1 Peter 1.13. So that's my answer to that one. Um, and then he'll give us the peace that comes from being taught directly by him. That's in this life. That, can have, that happens now. And that no weapon fashioned against us will succeed. That's now also. So some are future, some are now. Does that make sense? It's a good question. Well, Israel experienced both, I think, right? I mean, Israel uh, turned away from God because of their sin, right? Turned to idolatry, worshiping Moloch, burning their babies, horrible things. And God turned away from Israel because of Israel's sin, right? So, so I, I think I see both in the scripture. I'm not sure I'm answering your question, though. Yeah. Yes. Okay, that's what you're asking. If you're trusting Jesus, because you're trusting Jesus Christ, okay, you're trusting him, doesn't mean you're perfect, but because you're trusting Jesus Christ, God will never leave you or forsake you. Okay? And when you, when you stumble and, and, and turn away, he's there, he will bring you back. Because you've been born again, because you're trusting Jesus Christ. Right? No one will pluck us out of his hand. John 10. Right? We're trusting Jesus Christ. 50, Isaiah 53. He's borne all of our sins. And because of his paying for our sins and being clothed in his perfect righteousness, God will never leave us or forsake us. It's a precious promise. Okay, so let me pray over us. And again, what I want to challenge you to do is to take one of these five promises and, and I'm just asking that as I was praying for this morning, Lord, that you would just impress upon people exactly which promise they need to focus on. We're all different. We all will have different outcomes from this, but, but there's a promise here that you need. And so my, my encouragement to you is, is take that promise and feed on that promise. Find other scriptures that teach that same promise and feed on that promise. Pray over that promise. Memorize that promise. Meditate on that promise and watch your faith be strengthened. Watch your faith rise. Watch your faith grow. So Lord, I pray that you would do this for me and for each of us here, Lord. It's, it's war. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. It's against spiritual powers. Satan is seeking to destroy our faith, seeking to weaken our faith. Lord, help us to be diligent to fight the fight of faith with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. So this week, Lord, let us feed on your promises. As we come together in our home groups to talk about these things, let us feed together on your promises. Strengthen us as you've promised to do. And Lord, we thank you for your word and for meeting us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.